All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, most of you know me. If you don't, I'm George Ashby, and if you're ready to look for another class, I know Pastor Art has said this before. There are other ones in the building somewhere if you say, oh, I don't want this guy. But anyway, Pastor was mentioned about that whole 51 degrees idea, and several have asked me this morning. I was away from 2011 to 2015 in Honduras, teaching down there, and uh, so people have said, aren't you ready to go back there with all this cold? I still remember vividly the one Thanksgiving down there where we lost power uh, where I lived up on the mountain in Tegucigalpa, and the temperature got down to about 49 degrees. And people are thinking, 49, that would be great. Well, in the apartments that we, where we lived, they were block buildings, they were tiled floors, there's no power, there's no nothing. You couldn't take a hot shower to warm up. So after day two of this, I was, you couldn't get warm. I mean, I'm in my apartment in, you know, all like you would be today outside just to try to get warm. I ended up one day, I just, I grabbed some stuff. I hopped on the little public transportation, Rapidito, where usually maybe a, a bus that holds about 20, 24 people would get about 40, 50. And so I rode down the mountain. I got a hotel for the day, took about three hot showers just to warm my body up because, yeah, here, what was the coldest some of you saw this morning? Zero. The one bank in Cleona, the one corner in Cleona as you're coming into 422, that one always reads low, but it was negative three at about 7.15 this morning when I came through. So, yeah, it's cold, but, uh, and we're looking forward to that heat wave coming up. Uh, anyway, um, as I mentioned, I was down in Honduras for four years. It was fun for me this past year getting involved in the reenactment again. I'd been away for not having been involved in it for a number of years, so it was fun getting back in. And part of the fun for me, those of you who came through, you probably noticed I was one of the angels up on the platform in that one scene. I was in the perfect vantage point where I stood. I got to see everybody that was coming in from the previous scene, which is, I always, that's the... <laughs> 20 years ago, 20-some years ago when I was first involved in a reenactment, that's the reason I got contacts is, and I hardly ever wear them, but I got them to be able to see people coming into the scenes that I was doing. It was fun. Uh, but you get to see people coming in. And I was next to Sam Newhart, who I just met for the first time as we were getting involved in that. And then we had the ladies down in front. But while people were coming into our scene, we were supposed to converse with each other. And it's like, well, what do you talk about? I mean, you're, you, you just... <laughs> So what Sam and I were doing is as people were coming in, I'm thinking, oh, this is all visitors. I don't recognize anybody that's coming into the scene here. And so we get excited. People are, you know, first-time visitors maybe, and this is a good outreach for them. Uh, so we'd be talking about things like that. And then about halfway, maybe three-quarters of the way through Saturday, as we'd have a break in between scenes and we were just conversing with each other, he and his wife asked me, well, how long have you been coming to the church here? 28 years. This, this week, 28 years ago, I joined Faith Baptist, which is really exciting for me. And uh, so he said, so do you follow sports? And we found out that we both love the same baseball team. And so now in between scenes, instead of saying, oh, the folks coming through now are visitors or they're church folks, we're talking about the Red Sox, which was fun for the two of us, but we made that connection. But anyway, being away for four years and then not completely plugged in a lot since I've been home, I look around, I recognize most of the folks here. If you don't know me for some reason or I don't know you, let's, let's change that. I hate not knowing people, uh, but I haven't always come, come out, gone out of my way to make sure I meet people that I've not met before. So, 
been, haven't been here for 28 years, I should know pretty much everybody, but sometimes you don't make that connection because there's some folks there. I, I just, I see your faces and we'll just make a point to introduce each other afterwards. As you can see, Pastor Art's not here today. Uh, he had a chance to uh, present his digital discernment uh, series in another church today. So, he had asked me back at the beginning of December if I was interested in teaching some of the, the psalm and their stories classes. And I said, yeah, I could do that. I said, but December's not going to work out for me, just different things going on with my job and whatnot. So, then two weeks back, he said, hey, I'm going to be gone for a Sunday, the first Sunday in January. Do you mind slipping in and teaching a lesson there? I said, that'll work fine for me. So, that's what we're doing today. And the lesson, the psalm we're going to be discussing today is actually Psalm 57. So, you can kind of put a finger in Psalm 57, but what we do in teaching the Psalms is we go to the background. What was David going through? What was happening in his life that caused him to pen the words of Psalm 57? So, if you can put a marker or have a place open in Psalm 57, we're going to jump back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. So, in 1 Samuel, uh, I don't know how, how, how well you remembered <laughs> the last Sunday school class we had was three weeks ago now, but uh, Pastor Art's lesson was mostly in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. You're probably pretty well aware of what's happening in the book of 1 Samuel at this time. David's popularity is continuing to grow, and what is that doing to King Saul? Getting him a little angry, a little upset, a little fearful, we're going to see, and uh, we're going to mention it here, Saul, uh, Saul is well aware that David has been anointed as the next king. Is he happy with this? Why, why would Saul not be happy with this? What, what's he thinking? What, what's that? Well, he won't be, but we know he can't be king forever. When his days are done, what should happen next? His son should be king, okay? This isn't right. This isn't the way kingdoms… I mean, Israel was the one that sought for that king. They wanted to be like other nations, and God gave them King Saul. His kingdom is being threatened, and his son, you know, as the, the rightful successor. So, he's making a point to make David's life miserable, which we saw even in Psalm 56 from three weeks ago, some of the words that David cries out, and we're going to see them especially today in Psalm 57. So, in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, David had gone, he, it seems like at this time, he's fleeing by himself. He doesn't have any following at this point. So, he goes to the city of Nob. He's hungry. He's been fleeing. He's been trying to get away from Saul. He's hungry. He asks Ahimelech, the priest, if he could have some bread. He didn't have any bread on hand except for the bread that was meant for the, uh, the table of showbread in the tabernacle. But he says, hey, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. So, he gives him this bread, and as he's ready to leave the city of Nob, I'll tell you what, if you want to even look, we're, gonna, we're not going to be in notes for a few minutes yet. We're going to be focusing more on the background. So, if you just want to look at the map on the front page of the notes there, you all have notes? I saw the ushers coming about. Everybody said, we're going to just look at this map a little bit to kind of see where David's heading. He leaves, he's getting ready to leave Nob, and he's thinking, you know what? Saul's after me. He's bringing an army with him. I need to protect myself. So, he asks Ahimelech, if you remember this from three weeks ago, he asks him if he has any weaponry of some sort. He happened to have one sword with him. Which sword was that? He had Goliath's sword there in Nob. So, David says, okay. So, David takes the sword. He leaves the city of Nob. 
Now, he's trying to flee from Saul. He has Goliath's sword with him. His enemy is what nation? Israel's enemy, what greatest enemy at this time is who? The Philistines. So, if you remember from, Psalm, from, uh, from 1 Samuel 21, where does David go next? He goes to the Philistines, if you remember that. Uh, it was a big part of Pastor Art's background. Uh, he goes, if you look at the map from Nob, you see the arrow pointing, he goes to the city of Gath. Who was from Gath? What, what, what big, big, big Goliath was from Gath? So, it's like, this is, we know he goes to the city of Gath. While, while there, they, I don't know if they incarcerated him of some sort, they're trying to think, okay, David's here. David killed our great leader. What is David, how does David change himself slightly to make it so that the Philistines didn't know what to do with him? He, he acted a little bit crazy. I, I remember Pastor Art bringing out, you know, was this the way to bring about God's will, will in the situation? That's a little bit of a stretch, but David was just trying to think on his feet, what can I do to cause these people? I'm getting away from Saul who's trying to kill me, and now I'm going to the nation of the Philistines who are going to want me dead as well. So, he acts a little bit crazy. What that looked like, you know, we don't know for sure. Some of the, some of the things are mentioned in 1 Samuel 21 there, but he goes to the, he goes to the city of Gath and to the Philistines. He eventually escapes, and this is where we're going to dive into when we get to chapter 22. Um, chapter 22, verse number 1, David therefore, 1 Samuel 22, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. Okay, if you look on your map, you can see the arrow that points from Gath over to Adullam. Okay, now when we get into Psalm 57, we're going to see a little note at the top that says David writes Psalm 57 from the cave but it doesn't say which cave. And we're going to see in these next couple chapters of 1 Samuel that there's two different caves that David visited in. The first one is in Adullam there in chapter 22, verse number 1. And one of the commentators I, I was reading said this is where he was. I think two different ones said that this is where David was at this time. But let's just, we're gonna, we'll tie into that in a, just a few seconds here, but let's look at the context that's happening in chapter 22. So David flees to this cave, and while there... His family comes down to visit. Verse number one goes on to say, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, heard that they had, he had gone to this cave, they went down thither to him. Now, I got thinking about this as I was looking at verse number one. King Saul is after David. He can't find him yet. I mean, he, he, he gets wind of where he's at during these different time periods, and sometime by the time he gets there, David has fled. If you remember from uh, I, I don't have one specific one in mind, but quite often if you're watching a movie and let's just say there's the bad guy that's in search of, to us, is the good guy, and he can't find the good guy and he wants to draw him out, who does the, who does the bad guy go after? He goes after his family. Now, we don't know this for certain. It doesn't say specifically until we get down to verse number five here, but David's family comes to this cave, which is great. They want to be there for, for support to show him his love, and they know the king's after him, and so his family comes down in verse number one. Now, remember, David's been by himself up to this point. So, now he has his family with him. Verse number two, and everyone that was in distress, <laughs> I love this verse. Here's some people that are coming to rally around David. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. 
You're going to gather an army. Are these the people that you want? <laughs> not, necess- not necessarily. Okay, they gathered the, the gather, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. This is your army of the distressed, the debt, those in debt that the creditors are after, those who are discontent, not the kind of people you want surrounding you, but this is the army that David's kind of building up. Now, David's concerned about his family. This is what I was saying about it probably dawned on him, you know what? Saul's after me, and instead of going after me, since he can't find me sometimes, maybe he'll go after my family. So, verse number three, David went thence to Mizpah of Moab. Now, looking on your map, you find the cave of Adullam, and you see that big arrow that goes all the way down beneath the bottom of the Dead Sea there, over into Moab. This is where he takes his family. Now, what connection does David and his family have to Moab? Think back historically. Oh, very good, Ruth, okay? David's great-grandmother, Ruth, was from Moab. So, there's probably some family there, and it's definitely out of Saul's reaches if he goes down to Moab. So, he takes his family, and they flee down to Moab. Uh, Verse 3 goes on, he says to the king of Moab, let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. We're going to see this when we get into Psalm 57. David's very confident that God's going to protect him in spite of how difficult it, it, it is for him. He knew that God was going to protect him, so he said, okay, until I know for sure what God's going to do, can you please protect my family, which I just, I love that situation there. So, he brought them before him to the king of Moab. Um, finally, in verse number five, the prophet Gad said unto David, abide not in the hold anymore, depart, get you into the land of Judah. So, David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. So, they're there for whatever, David and his family are there, and his army are there for a period of time. David finally leaves with his army, and they head back up into Judah, the family probably being left behind. And that's what we're going to get into when we get to the next verses. Um, We're not going to read every verse. We're going to read some of them. Chapter 22, verses 6 and following, very, very, very sad portion of Scripture. Saul's the king of Israel. When he first started, I think if you read about King Saul, he, he, he seemed like a decent guy. He, he seemed to have a relationship with God, and he was trying to do the right thing. <laughs> with all of this happening, with David being anointed as the future king, and him chasing after David to not allow this to happen, so his son Jonathan will keep that in line, just Saul's gone a little off the deep end. You can look at some of the different chapters and some of the different stories that have taken place where Saul consults a witch where he offers sacrifice, and it wasn't his position to do that as king. Some of the different things that Saul did. Saul catches wind while David's gone that he had gone to the city of Nob, that he had gotten some bread from Ahimelech, and gotten Goliath's sword from Ahimelech. Now, there was one person, if you remember when we were in chapter 21 before with Pastor Art three weeks ago, that there was a man there named Doeg who had observed all that was happening with Ahimelech providing all these things for David. Let's start in verse number 6 of chapter 22. Just a sad context here that's going to help as we get into Psalm 57 a little bit later on. When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under tree in Ramah, 
uh, having his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing. Imagine the king always having spear in hand ready for anything. Verse 7, Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields, like I have done, and vineyards, like I have done, and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, like I have done. Okay, he's not going to do that for you. I've done these things for you. That all of you now have conspired against me. A little paranoid? Definitely. Uh, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. Saul, <laughs> I think he's oblivious to the fact that Jonathan has been David's biggest supporter through all of this. He's just, he's not, he's not going to believe this. This is his boy. This is the next king. He's not going to believe any of these things. So, none of you have shown me that my son has made a league with the son of Jesse. There is none of you that is sorry for me or that shows unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. And then, this is where Doeg, this guy we're just telling you about, then answered Doeg the Edomite, Edomite which was set over the servants of Saul, he said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him. He gave him victuals. He gave him some food, and he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitab, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitab. And he answered, Here I am, my Lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David? Ahimelech's defending himself, saying, Wait a minute. You've been chasing after David, and who has been one of your biggest supporters? David has been. And we're, going to see, we're not going to get into uh, chapter 24 too much. It's kind of where, we're, where Psalm 57 is going to spring from. But in chapter 24 is the ultimate where David's in a different cave. And if you remember, Saul goes into the cave. <laughs> I, I don't know why I laugh at this story all the time. When I was in seminary, you took these different courses to dissect certain little phrases that were in the Bible and what they actually meant. And there was the one in, Psalm 20, in 1 Samuel 24 where it says, Saul goes into the cave and covers his feet. And the King James is being very, I don't know, very proper, thank you, to, in doing that. And we've all discovered that he went in to relieve himself, as is the custom of every human being ever. So while in there, David has the opportunity to kill him, but knowing that isn't right, but he wants to let Saul know, I could have done this. You've been after me. I could have turned this around and killed you. But instead, he cuts off a piece of his garment. And then he feels guilty even in doing that because this is the king. He knew his responsibilities and said, why am I doing this? And so, if you were to read through uh, 1 Samuel 24, which we're not going to quite get into today, he felt guilty about what he had done. And if there was anybody that was trying to support the king, it was David. And that's what Himelech says here. Uh, verse number 14, Himelech answered the king and said, and who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goes at thy bidding, and is honorable in your house? 
Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto his servants, nor to all the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. Ahimelech being honest with him, saying, hey, I, I just did what I thought was, was the right thing to do. So, King Saul is going to be calmed down by this point, right? Verse 16, and the king said, thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. <laughs> Saul has some major problems going on in his life at this time. He wants to just now kill his family. So, he, he, uh, verse number 17, you can read through it. He gets his foot soldiers who were nearby and says, hey, listen, I want you to go kill this family. And they're Saul, you're nuts. No, we're not going to do this. So he calls on good old Doeg. Verse number 18, and the king said to Doeg, turn thou, fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priests and he slew on that day four score and five persons that did wear the linen ephod. So he kills 85 priests. Verse 19, uh, and Nob, the city of priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Horrible situation just because of King Saul's hatred of David and, and anybody that was associated with David in any way, shape, or form. So, looking back now, I think David had a, was smart in getting his family away if Saul's going to do this to to this priest and to the, the other priests that were there in Nob. So, just a sad situation. The nice thing is there's always a little bit of a silver lining. Verse 20, and one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abiathar, I'm trying to, as we look at verse 22 here, I'm trying to, th to understand the mindset of David to me, he had to have been just grieving in his heart, feeling this was my fault, in some ways, taking responsibility. David said to Nobiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. In a sense, this is my fault. If, if I didn't go there and get the food and get the sword none of this would have happened. So, David's grieving over this whole situation. So, he says to him, verse 23, abide thou with me, uh, fear not, for he that seeks my life seeks your life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Just the, the sad commentary that's going on here in chapter number 22 as David fleeing from Saul and all the things that are happening. He's, if you remember, we we'd said in the first five verses there, he had taken his little army of 400. They come back up into the land of Judah. They're in a wilderness there for a time. Verse, chapter 23 starts out where David hears news that there's a city, and you can see it on your map, the city of Keilah. I guess we would pronounce it that way. The city of Keilah. He goes, uh, he hears that the, the Philistines are going and attacking the city of Keilah. Yeah, David's preoccupied with fleeing from Saul, but he can't just let these people suffer. So, he leaves his difficult circumstances with his little army. He inquires of God, you know, if he should do this or not, and getting, you know, the, 
the assurance from God that he's going to get the victory. He takes his little army of 400, they head up to the city of Keilah, and they spare this city. They protect them. They defeat the Philistines with a great slaughter. I think it says that in verse number, verse number 5, chapter 23. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, brought away their cattle, smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. You're thinking, yay, these citizens are going to be so excited for what David has done for them. We get into the rest of chapter 23. Uh, if you have a heading in your Bibles, mine says, Saul pursues David. <laughs> Again. Okay, verse, verse number six, though, and it came to pass when Abiathar, you know what, I don't, I don't want to keep reading all the different verses. Within the context there, what's going to happen is, we'll tell you, let's look at, read the first couple. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. The ephod, if you remember from uh, Israel's history, was something that the, pre the high priest would wear. Inside was the Urim and the Thummim, which were to help decipher what God's will was in situations. That's kind of setting the tone what's going to happen next. Saul gets wind that David has taken his little band and gone to the city of Keilah and spared them from the Philistines. And Saul starts thinking, I've got him now. Because if you read the next couple of verses, it says that Keilah was a, a walled, gated city. And they're thinking, David's trapped. He's inside the city now. I'm going to come down and finally wipe him out. Well, <laughs> communication goes back and forth. David hears that Saul's going to come down after him. He's thinking, well, wait a minute. I just helped protect the city and all these people. Surely they're going to be there on my side, right? So he inquires of God as to what's going to happen in the situation. Uh, verse number 10, then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said unto him, he will come down. Well, we knew that. Saul's going to pursue him no matter what. So yes, he's going to come down. But verse number 12, then said David, will the men of Keilah, I'm thinking, the, city, the, the citizens who I just saved from being slaughtered, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. It's like, where's the loyalty? Where's the, you did this for us, we're going to defend you. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah. Saul hears that they fled they flee up into this little wilderness region. Verse number 14, David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him. Notice this, the last part of verse number 14. As he's in this wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. <laughs> every single day. Now, just for a little brief stretch in verses 16 and 17, Jonathan comes and kind of strengthens David's heart and, and is there as a friend. It reminds him, David, you're the next king. I'm going to be there right by your side. It's not me. It's you. Da Jonathan, completely aware of God's will in this situation, you're the next king. No matter what my dad says and him pursuing you like this, uh, I'm with you. So he's in the wilderness, so the, the, the citizens of Ziph are aware that he's there. 
And so they go to King Saul. Uh, Saul, we just saw David and his men. They're in our region. And so all these people seem to be turning against David for some reason. Uh, we, could, we could go all the way down through the end of chapter 23. There were a few verses I wanted to touch on. Just give me a second here. Anyway, um, oh, verse number 20, 26. So Saul's come down and is pursuing David once again. Verse number 26, Saul went on this side of the mountain, David and his men on that side of the mountain. That's how close they are to each other. And if you look on your map, they're probably getting close to the, to the Dead Sea there. Uh, they were in Keilah, then they were in Ziph, and they're heading over toward En Gedi, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment. So they're on opposite sides of the mountain from each other, so they're really, really close. David despairing for his life at this point, thinking, that's it. This is going to be over really, really soon. Even though his confidence is in God, he's thinking, okay, this may be God's will. You know, even though God has anointed me king, Saul's this close. Something may happen here. Um, David made haste, middle of verse 26, to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. But there came but, verse 27, but there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Perfect timing. This is God. This is God completely. In spite of the difficult circumstances surrounding David's situation, God intervenes and sends the Philistines in to invade the land. So, Saul has to do his kingly duties and get his army and leave from pursuing David and go after the Philistines. So, David's going to get a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, verse number 29, and David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. Uh, chapter 24 starts, David spares Saul in a cave. So, here's that whole idea of cave. Tell you what, let's jump, jump into some notes here. Um, we'll talk about uh, what was just happening in 1 Samuel 22 and 23. What is happening with David, King Saul, and the nation of Israel at this time? Number one in your notes, some are still faithful to David. Okay? We just saw in the context we were just reading, some are still faithful to David. Number one, obviously his his family, okay? His family had come down to visit him while he was at that cave at Adullam. So, we know his family is going to be on his side, which is good. And also, verse number, letter B there, at least 400 other men, okay? And the, I, 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 these verses are just interesting. Who were these men that we talked about that were rallying around him? Those who were distressed. It's not fun being around people who are really stressing out. Yeah, yeah, sometimes we need to be there for them to help calm them down, but these are the people that David, those who were distressed, those who were in debt, so people are, debt collectors are chasing after them, creditors are after them for whatever reason, so these are the people that are coming to David. And finally, those who were discontented. <laughs> yeah, we like being around those who are never happy about anything. This is the army that David's gathered, but it just, God used the whole situation there. So, we know that some are still faithful to David. Number two, others, most likely, and we don't see this directly, but I think with what we just talked about, others most likely are afraid of King Saul. What did King Saul do with Ahimelech and the 84 other priests? Killed them. And who else? The families the women, 
the children, the cat, just it was a slaughter. People hear about these things, so <laughs> I think people are afraid of Saul. It's like, oh, Saul, guess what? We saw David. Here, the, 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 the Ziphites, you know, they probably, whoa, we don't want Saul coming and attacking us, so we're going to, anybody that's associated with David, and even in a small way, he's going to come after, so they're all giving up David in a heartbeat. So, uh, letter A, the citizens of Keilah turn David in, is the way I worded it there. The citizens of Keilah turn David in, even though he had just saved their lives. That was in chapter 23, verse 12. Then letter B, the mountain wilderness dwellers of Ziph also rat him out to Saul as David was hiding out in their region. So, in spite of him either leaving them alone with the people of Ziph or helping defeat uh, the Philistines for the, the people of Keilah, they still turn on David. Then number three, Saul's pursuit of David is relentless. It's relentless. Saul seeks after David. How often do we see? Every day. He's going after him. We all face different pressures in life from whatever situations that we have to go through. But the nice thing is, and it's a phrase I never, my, my sister-in-law used to use, I never liked it, and maybe some of you use it. I don't know, it's just not my favorite phrase. This too shall pass. I don't know why, and some people really like that phrase, and it's true, okay? Situations will come, and then they'll go, but <laughs> Saul's pursuing after David every single day. Yay, that's got to be getting old. Um, and then letter B, even after taking a break to fight against the Philistines, Saul picks up right where he left off, and going after David. Chapter 24, verse number 1, and it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, I just, the, the very bottom of that page there, I just mentioned here, because this is what I've noticed in the commentators that I was reading from. David writes this psalm while in a cave. Two possibilities. First of it could be the cave of Adullam, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Secondly, it could be these caves by En Gedi. I don't know. We don't know for sure. I don't think it really matters within what we have just saw within the context here, which specific cave. I lean toward the latter, personally, because the, the stay in Adullam seemed to be brief. His family comes down to him, so David's preoccupied with family. And then these these distressed, discontented, in debt men come and become his army. So he's preoccupied with being their leader, being their captain. So I think he has too many other things on his mind in chapter 22. But when he gets to chapter 24, Saul has left to go fight after the Philistines. So David with his army, which has gone up to 600 at this point, has a little bit of a reprieve. And so he probably has time to reflect and pen the words to Psalm 57. So let's go there. Let's go to Psalm 57. Now, does anybody know anything about En Gedi? Have you ever? It's an oasis. Very good. Um, 20 years ago this week, I, I, my, my brain thinks in dates and time periods. I told you it was this week, 28 years ago that I joined Faith Baptist Church. 20 years ago this week, I remember it was December 29th or 30th through January 9th, I got a chance to go to Israel. And part of the trip that our group took 
was we went down along the Dead Sea and we went to the region of Engedi. What's interesting, and <laughs> I googled some uh, images of Engedi on the on the computer, Google Images, just to see what that region looked like. To kind of, I had some pictures, but they went up in a fire, you know, some years back. But uh, I, I was kind of curious. I, I remember it being beautiful that there was waterfalls in a nice green region, but it's a very small, as somebody said, oasis at this, at this region because the area is very arid. It's very desert-like. And so <laughs> there was one picture of the Google images that I looked up. There's a swimming pool in this oasis today, in these modern days. And there's people swimming in this pool. And just beyond the swimming pool, I mean, you can see some palm trees that are there. Just beyond the swimming pool, not too far away, is barren, you know, just dirt and rock. And off on the left-hand side is those brown, earthy, clay-colored mountains. Then off a little bit further in the distance is the Dead Sea, you know, that very salt filled area. Oh, I looked back at Pastor Binkley and Rose there. I went the year after they did to Israel. Just remember that for some reason. Anyway, um, but in Getty was beautiful. And when I was there, I remembered, this is awesome. I am walking in the same area where David and these men walked as they hid themselves. We didn't get a chance to go into those caves, but just thinking David and his men had gone into these caves to flee from Saul. It was just just a beautiful little area there, that oasis there in Engedi. Anyway, let's jump into Psalm 57. We're going to read the whole psalm here, and then we're going to dissect it a little bit as we finish up the notes. The little uh, heading above the, the psalm there, to the chief musician, I'll, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, even though I usually try to do that, Mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Oh, we were talking about some commentators think it was the cave at Adullam. Some commentators think it was the caves at Engedi. At the very bottom of my Bible that I use, I use this word study Bible, Psalm 57.1, David wrote this psalm while running for his life from Saul, 1 Samuel 24. I'm not saying that, is the, the, that, that was the deciding factor, but anyway, it is for me. Be merciful unto me, verse number one of uh, Psalm 57, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge unto these calamities, until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above the, all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a really neat psalm. It starts out 
with these cries of mercy. God be merciful. God be merciful. So let's dissect this psalm a little bit in the, uh, the second page there of your notes. David, the verses one through five, we're going to see David's prayer for deliverance. David's prayer for deliverance in verses one through five. And we can see the repetition of verse number one, be merciful unto me, O God, uh, uh, and, and be merciful unto me. He repeats it twice. So letter A, his cries for God's mercy. His cries for God's mercy. He repeats it for emphasis. And basically by crying out for God's mercy, it's a plea for God to bestow favor on him. Now, as you look at a lesson, you always try to take from it, how can I make this particular situation applicable for me? Do any of you have somebody after you to kill you? I don't think any of you are in that situation. So, what we have to think, well, what is happening in my life maybe that I can maybe in a small way compare it to? I try to do that for myself. I said, what have I dealt with recently that have caused me a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation? Uh, some of you I've talked to know that uh, a big part of my job, I'm a courier for a, a nuclear pharmacy, and I'm on the road a lot. And maybe in some bad ways for me, I, I tend to be a, a little bit of an aggressive driver until I realize how many crazy people are out there on the road. Um, I was heading from Harrisburg down to Carlisle on the turnpike. And so I'm in the left lane, probably where I sit most of the time, um, passing people. And there was a, a truck in front of me. And it was going pretty slow. I don't, maybe he was going 70, which is the speed limit there. But um, so I went over to the right to pass him. Well, you've all, some of you have had this happen. As you start to pass somebody, what do they do? They start speeding up then, thinking, come on, buddy, what are you doing here? So eventually he gets over to the right lane. So I get back over to the left lane and I start speeding up to pass him. And I get around him. And I don't want to fly, so then I get over. Next thing you know, boom, boom, he goes around me and cuts in front of me again, thinking, no, 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 no. So I pulled off to the side of the road. I really did. I just, I just pulled off to the side, and I just stopped there. I said, this guy's nuts. So a little bit later, I, I probably waited a good minute. I came out. This is, I'm comparing this to David's situation. We know it doesn't compare at all, but this is just some of the things that I deal with. So I'm back heading down the turnpike, and I can see he probably had done the same thing. He's waiting for me. I said, what's this guy doing? So I'm going, I'm going relatively slow on the turnpike, and I can see him not too far in front of me. Well, we're getting, I was heading down to Carlisle, but we're getting close to the Camp Hill exit there. So um, I see him really going slowly into that exit. And I said, I don't know what he's waiting for. So once again, I pulled off to the side of the road, and I just stopped there. It must have been 15 seconds later, I see these flashing lights come up right behind me. I'm thinking, wait a minute, what have I done? So a, a state police trooper got out. He came up to the, to the right side of my vehicle and put my window down. He says, uh, something wrong? I said, some guy that is in that pickup truck that just exited there has been stalking me here on the, I don't, I don't remember what words I used. I said, but he's been just, he's crazy. So he says, well, you did the right thing. He says, just you know, if you need to pause here for a minute, but I need you to get on the road there. So he had exited and was well through the, the turnpike extension there. So I took off and continued my deliveries. But like I said, in a small way, you have to con 
there are people that are crazy. And how many of you have read or heard stories of road rage and people getting killed? I mean, it happens, and so you're thinking, well, that'll never happen to me. Well, in these small situations, maybe it could. So, we cry out, God, help protect me in this situation. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this driver's trying to do, but uh, David's crying out for God's mercy there, asking him to bestow favor on him. Uh, Letter B, David sees his comfort is in God's refuge. His comfort is in God's refuge. I love the latter half of verse number 57. David says, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. As soon as I read this, I love music, uh, hymns. When people say, what's your favorite music? They don't believe me. I say, I love hymns. They look, really? I mean, you, you talk to a Christian, they can almost understand that. But you talk to somebody who's not saved, it's like, I like sacred music. I like hymns and stuff like that. I have two or th- I have three different hymn books at home. I have three or four chorus books. And often, I know I've shared this with, with different folks in the past, sometimes I incorporate them into my devotions. I just love reading through, uh, through the hymns and stuff. But my mind went right away to under his wings. And so I put it on the back page there just for your perusal, instead of getting the hymn books out, you have it there. I'm just going to look at the, the first verse there, then we're going to d- jump back into Psalm 57. Under his wings, the, uh, the writer there, Ira Sankey, you've heard of him, was one of the, the writers of this, un- or the, put the music to the words. Under his wings I am safely abiding, though the night deepens and tempests are wild. Still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me, and I am his child. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings my soul shall abide safely, abide forever. Just love that song, knowing that God is always going to be our refuge. No matter what difficulties we go through, no matter what situations we deal with, God is always there. So I just love that part where God is our refuge. Let her see, under David's prayer of deliverance, David has confidence in God's deliverance. He mentioned this in in verses 1, 2, and 3, his confidence in God's deliverance. In verse number 1, be merciful, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. God, I know you're going to be merciful to me because I trust you. Now, think about it. If we're not trusting in God on a day-to-day basis, why should we expect God's mercy? But David was expecting it. He was, his pleas were there for God's mercy, but he was expecting it to come because he says, for my soul trusteth in thee. Verse number two, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. David confident that God is going to perform his will because of his trust in him. Verse number three, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. So David, in spite of his situation, David's confident. We can have that same confidence. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who will protect us. We just have to trust him, knowing that he will do these things for us, whatever situations we're dealing with. And then the the conclusion there is found in verse number five, where David says, be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, let thy glory be above the earth. So this is his pleas, his, his cries out to God for deliverance. And it seems like he shifts gears in the second half of the psalm, six and down to the end of the psalm there, because now, God, please deliver me. And now 
he's got the triumph that God has done just that. Uh, the notes there say David's song of triumph. David's song of triumph, verses number 6 through 11. In spite of his circumstances, he know that God's going to uh, triumph over the situation. Verse number 6, they've prepared a net for my steps. My soul's bowed down. They've digged a pit before me. It's all negative. Into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Then you could see the, the changing of the, the whole tone of the psalm here. Verse number seven, David says, I can see, I, you can almost picture his, the, the, his, the smile on his face, the, the, the overwhelming relief. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. This is that, this is where our minds, this is where our hearts need to be fixed on God. Focused, just that that almost tunnel vision thinking, God, it's you. I'm not going to let this thing pull me away or let that thing pull me away, which could be causing some of my difficulties, but I'm going to be fixed on you. I love uh, verse number seven there and David's focus in this situation. So that's what we see in letter B. What brings about this song? There's going to be question words here. What brings about this song? David's heart being fixed on God. Fixed on God. It's set. It's not wavering. Let her see, when will David sing? Awake, uh, let's look at verse number eight. Awake up my glory, awake psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. Some people aren't early birds. My, uh, my half-sister was just asking for, you know, with friends, a list of like 19 questions to get to know somebody. And one of them was, are you a morning person or are you an evening person? I'm a morning person by far. College wasn't that way, but now, uh, because sometimes I have to get up at, you know, three in the morning with my job, I'm definitely more of a morning person. But the idea here is when should we praise God? Get up in the morning and say, God, thank you for today. And just offer those praises to God right away in the morning. That's what David's doing here. Um, letter D, who will hear David's song? Verse number nine, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. Who does David want to know who his refuge and strength is? He wants everybody to know. He wants this to be declared among all the nations. I'll finish with this illustration here. Um, I have a coworker. Well, she used to uh, work at Chocolate World. Her name is Jenna. I met her and her husband, Matt, and their two little kids. And one day, she just, she, I, I was out in the little holding pen, we call it, for our guests that come and do the chocolate tasting experience at Chocolate World. And she said to me, she says, where do you get your strength from? Where do you get your confidence and your positive outlook? And I say, Jen, I get it from God. She said, what do you mean by that? And so it gave me a chance to just share a little bit my testimony with her. Um, she has a Catholic background, though she isn't, she's forsook the Catholic um, faith, so to speak. And Easter of last year, she and her, she and her family came uh, to the service here. That's the only time they've been here. They want to come for the reenactments, but they keep having family situations get in the way. But uh, I've been over to their house for dinner. Uh, she and her family are coming over to my house for dinner sometime soon. And I just want to keep using this to, to reach the family. They're, they're, they're great people. They're just, they're fun people to be around. They just, they need Christ. But that was the situation where... I try to let my coworkers, whether it's a direct verbal one-on-one -on -one witness or just through the way I try to conduct my life, you want people to see 
that you have Christ. And that's, that's kind of what I was trying to do with her. And so I'm just excited for the possibilities that, that God has in, in store for their lives. We finish up the conclusion. David once again says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above the earth. So we're trying to take from Psalm 57 with the context of 1 Samuel 22, 23 into 24, that even though we go through tough things in life, we have a God that will deliver us a God that will be our refuge, a God that we can just trust in who can bring about that song of praise that he did for David here.